Welcome to Sooners Extra, powered by the Oklahoma. And I'm your host, Ryan Aber, here with uh, columnist Jenny Carlson after Oklahoma's 27-14 win over Baylor on Saturday night. We're actually you're talking on uh, early Sunday morning, high above uh, Owen Field. And, and Jenny, um, I don't know that we expected a normal game. Uh, from from the Sooners based on everything that they've been through over the last couple weeks, but uh, was certainly very unusual, uh, especially on the offensive side uh, for the Sooners. But the most important thing, they were able to pull out the victory and uh, clinch a berth in the Big 12 title game. Yeah, you know, that was obviously the the main uh, important goal. I mean, other than getting this game played, uh, because, you know, for Oklahoma to make that Big 12 championship, they needed to get one of these last two games in. And, um, you know, the more games they play, the better when it relates to, you know, potentially, you know, landing a spot in a, uh, you know, being in the maybe in the mix somewhere down the line for, you know, college football playoff I know that's a far far away away but the more games you play the better so obviously getting this game in tonight was important but you know obviously you know kind of a kind of a flat Oklahoma team that we saw out there and you know I think considering the fact that the football facility was closed for several days last week they had that game postponed then this week they were dealing with uh, coaches out players out uh, support staff out, you know, nothing was normal. Um, maybe it's to be expected that we didn't see the team we had seen uh, in these last five games that they've, you know, been so dominant and gone on this winning streak, but still found a way to, to win. So, you know, I think, I think maybe we saw something else out of this team in terms of, you know, their, their mental fortitude and just some of those types of things that, you know, it, you got you gotta have some of that too. So, um, you know, not the prettiest game, but I think when you secure a spot in the conference championship game, uh, that's definitely a positive you can walk away with. Yeah, especially, and we'll get uh, deep into to tonight a little bit uh, here shortly, but especially given where they were on October 3rd after losing to that Iowa State team that they're going to see here in a couple weeks, um, I don't think any of us would have expected that they would have made it back to the Big 12 title game, much less clinched a spot with a game to go. And obviously they needed some help today from Oklahoma State or some help from TCU against Oklahoma State uh, to make that a reality tonight. But uh, just a a remarkable turnaround from the Sooners uh, from where they were. And we've been talking about it here for the last couple months, uh, really since that Texas game. But – you know, it manifests itself once again on the defensive side when Oklahoma is without uh, one of their best pass rushers in Nick Benito. Uh, they're without uh, a couple of their key secondary guys. And I know that uh, obviously Pat Field struggled uh, early in the season as much as anybody else, but had played pretty well uh, the last couple of weeks. He was out. You know, everybody has strong opinions about uh, Brendan Radley Hiles and whether or not he should be out on the field. But there's a reason he's starting and has started for so long. I mean, uh, you know, made a lot of plays in that Bedlam game. You know, clearly the the one big mistake uh, has been highlighted. He was out tonight. Uh, Woody Washington, who's been uh, perhaps their best corner 
uh, to this point after breaking into the starting lineup a few weeks ago and, and making a really big interception uh, in the Red River game. He's out tonight, so they have to cobble everything together on the back end of that defense and, and found a way to do it and uh, uh, limited uh, Baylor to, what was it, 263 passing yards, Charlie Brewer just 30 of 56, and nobody had more than uh, 63 uh, receiving yards for, for the Bears, and uh, heck, even Jonah White, who had that 63 number, needed nine catches to do it. Um, so a strong performance from a lot of guys that hadn't played much uh, until this year, and uh, heck, Robert Barnes had bounced around from, from safety where he played a lot a few years ago, uh, didn't fit as much in Alex Grinch's system, so they moved him to linebacker last year after he red shirts after playing the first four games. And they move him back to safety tonight, and he's in the starting lineup. Yeah. Uh, Trey Norwood plays uh, virtually every spot in the secondary at, at various points for them. They didn't have him most of the week in preparation, but he's able to, to get back out there and um, – perform really well big interception for him as well and uh it again just highlights the job Alex Grinch has done at building this defense uh, most notably building depth in that secondary yeah and you know I, I think something I, I was just thinking about the the fact that they did play you know a lot of guys in the secondary especially that hadn't maybe played as predominant roles but, you know, they also – just the overall depth of the secondary is affected because you've lost some heavy rotation guys, but you've also lost some guys that, you know, might have come in and played 10, 12, 15 snaps here and there. I just went and looked. Uh, I knew that Baylor had um, a, a, an advantage in total plays tonight. I didn't realize it was this big. Baylor ran 82 plays to OU's 59 plays. So you think about the – um, stress that those guys were under just the amount of plays I mean you know I, I didn't I didn't chronicle every play to see who was out there uh, you know for all 82 of those snaps but you're right Ryan I'm sure there were some guys that were out there you know pretty pretty much all the time maybe not in the exact same spot even every time um, the ball got snapped so for them to hold up as well as they did um, you know, pitching a shutout for, you know, a long chunk of the game. Um, you know, I, I thought that was pretty, pretty darn impressive. And then you add in the fact that, you know, we find out after the game that, you know, as we had suspected, Alex Grinch was one of the coaches impacted by, you know, quarantine this week. He was involved with practice, but through a loudspeaker. That's what Robert Barnes uh, said during his post game. So, you know, I mean, nothing was, nothing was as, you know, uh, anyone would want it. So to figure out ways to make it work, um, I thought that was just really impressive by this defense and, you know, the offense, while not good, and I'm sure we'll talk about that here in a little bit, um, you know, still found ways to, you know, figure some things out that weren't very good in the first half. Uh, do some things, get some points on the board, and and you know give give themselves enough of an arm's length to uh to to put Baylor away tonight. Yeah, let's stick with the defense for just a minute before we shift over to the offensive side. Uh, you know, we we spent a lot of time talking about the secondary there, but uh, the defensive line has been the 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 strength of this group uh, all year 
once again tonight, they were fantastic. Isaiah Thomas, uh, once again, was just uh, was really great. Uh, two and a half sacks for them. OU sacked Charlie Brewer three times, although it seemed like uh, every play, Charlie Brewer was running around for his life back there. Uh, eight pass breakups. I think, what, six of those were from front seven guys, uh, all from eight different players. Uh, mm-hmm. To have that, they had, uh, was it four quarterback hurries, two of them by Ronnie Perkins, another from Isaiah Thomas. I know that's uh, shocking to everybody to hear those two guys' names uh, being brought up as we talk about uh, success on this OU defense. But um, those guys really helped that secondary uh, come along. And uh, that's something – that uh, I, I think was a big part of what was missing on this defense for the last few years. Yes, I know everybody uh, notices when a cornerback gets beat or a, a safety uh, does something wrong back there. When a defensive lineman does something wrong, it doesn't just uh, you know stand out like a sore thumb, but there was plenty of that going on the last couple of years or the last few years. Uh, we're not seeing that now. And that's helped uh, make that secondary look a whole lot better. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, I, the the sacks and the hurries. I mean, it felt like there there would be more on the stat sheet at the end of the night because you know they really did not let Charlie Brewer stand in there very much. Um, if he did, he if he was staying in the pocket, he was doing it at his own peril because there'd probably be somebody coming at him. So, you know, the fact that they were able to get him to move around, you know, he's a fairly mobile guy. So it's not like, you know, he, he's completely handicapped in those instances, but you know, you're a lot more effective as a passer if you're able to sort of stand back there and, and survey and, and, you know, pick where you're going. But they really didn't allow him to do that very much tonight. So, yeah, I mean, just a, a really, uh, you know, I thought a, um, I, you know, may, I don't know if it was their best um, night as a defensive front, but considering all of the, you know, madness swirling around them this week and all the things that could have gone sideways in this game you know for them to I, th- I thought that I thought the you know the pass breakups the line of scrimmage that you referenced Ryan I thought that was you know it's not something we've seen to that to that volume this season and so for them to add that on a night that they you know really did have such a big part in this I thought that was you know kind of fitting and telling that uh, you know on a night again that they needed to to really step forward and, and be as good or better they figured out a, a new way to affect the game. And, and, you know, some of them they got because they were right in Charlie Brewer's face. And some of them they got as they were being blocked and they just, you know, were able to get hands up and, and, and knock stuff back. So just a great a, – another great night and what, what's now been a, a fairly great season for that defensive front. Yeah, no doubt about it. They also uh, – not talking about the front there here, but the, the defense was able to get a couple of turnovers – uh, tonight, a couple of interceptions, one from Trey Norwood, his third of the year, the other from uh, freshman DJ Graham, one of those guys that we talked about playing more and more over the last few weeks. And uh, that was big for the Sooners. I know that that two turnover mark is the number that Alex Grinch sets in his mind. But it was also big for the Sooners because the last two years they've had 11 takeaways in each, in each of uh, 2018 
uh, with Mike Stoops the year he got fired, and then 2019 last year with Alex Grinch, something that just frustrated him to no end. Uh, and tonight's uh, turnovers, takeaways were numbers 12 and 13 on the year for the Sooners, and we're talking about a year where they're playing you know, a couple of fewer games uh, than they normally would. So you certainly see the evolution of this defense uh, at every level right now. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's a that's a great point that, uh, you know, it doesn't it doesn't feel like that, you know, turnover cloud is sort of hanging over this defense. They're able to, to get those those turnovers with some regularity. I mean, I'm sure that more would be pleasing to, you know, Alex Grinch and company. But, um, you know, I think knowing more what you're going to get and, and and that's I mean, obviously, <laughs> with covid and everything nobody really knows what's going to happen you know as as these tests happen and roll through and you know availabilities are impacted so but i think once you know once this defense has an idea of who is going to be available for the game i think that they have a, a decent sense of what these guys can do and how they can how they can work together and i'm not so sure that was the case even you know 12 months ago um, they found ways to to get better last year, but they were still, I think, kind of figuring out who they were and what they could do. Obviously, that growth was stunted by no spring ball and, you know, no summer workouts together and all the things that the pandemic put on the shelf. But they've still they've still found ways to get better, to develop, to grow. Um, so I think that that's a I think that's a feather in the cap of of, of Grinch and, and his assistants that you know, they haven't stood still. They've been able to, to find ways to improve. So um, not where they want to be, obviously, but I think what you said, Ryan, is right. I think they are, you know, showing signs of continually, you know, getting better and, uh, you know, finding ways to continue to evolve towards what uh, Alex Grinch ultimately sees for this defense. Yeah, and uh, let's move over to the, the other side of the ball, uh, the offense, which, you know, Virtually every day since Lincoln Riley has been here, we've talked about how fantastic their offense is and how much they're carrying the team versus the defense. Uh, tonight it was the other way around. As, uh, it was rough going uh, for the Sooners offensively. Their worst uh, total offense number in the Lincoln Riley era, the last time they had fewer yards than they had tonight, was uh, the last Red River rivalry game that Josh Heupel was a part of. Uh, Colin plays for the Sooners. So um, it, it's very rare uh, that Oklahoma doesn't hit that 300-yard mark. Uh, tonight they finish at 269 and, and really for a, a large chunk of time weren't even over 200. I think it was in the well into the fourth quarter before they uh, went over that. Um, it was really tough going for them to run the ball after some early success on the very first drive where they get, uh, I think it was 67 yards on the first drive, have to settle for a field goal. And then that offense just sort of uh, stalls out. And unlike early in the season when Spencer Rattler was making rash decisions and, and making bad throws or, um, you know, getting forced out of the pocket and, and you know, having to scramble around, things like that, uh, tonight, the protection just didn't seem to be there. Obviously, Baylor dialed up some things uh, pressure-wise to, to make it difficult on the, the Sooners' offensive line, but 
uh, Rattler was scrambling around a lot uh, and just had to sort of take some of those sacks early. But I thought even in that showed a little bit of growth uh, from maybe what he would have tried to do in those situations early in the season, but not the greatest night for the Sooners deep or offense. No, it was not. I mean, it was, it was more pedestrian. I mean, I think, uh, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was pedestrian Spencer Rattler. It was pedestrian, you know, run blocking, run production. I mean, just the whole thing. I mean, there was none of the home run plays that we've kind of grown accustomed to somebody somewhere having along the way that you can ooh and ah about probably the closest thing we came to that was, um, at one of the one of the first half touchdowns that Spencer Rattler threw, he scrambled out to his right, then reverses field, goes practically all the way back across the field to his left before he he dumps off a, a touchdown pass. So, um, but you know, none of the really long stuff that well, we would have been the second half though, Jenny. Was that the second half? Okay. Yeah, Spencer Rattler didn't throw a touchdown pass in the first half. Cause... Well, yeah. Okay. Then that probably wasn't the first half. I mean, that seems ridiculous. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, that to me is probably the closest that, that we came to seeing something that, you know, was highlight worthy, if you will. Um, uh, yeah, actually, it was the first first possession of the second half. He, he got, found Theo Weiss uh, for that touchdown. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I the thing that was maybe most um, – sort of head scratching to me and some of it may have been explained by Lincoln Riley after the game saying that he didn't feel like the 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 offense was coached as well as they needed to be this this last week but I really was I mean I Baylor's defense their front especially I think they're probably a little underappreciated for a two-win team that's probably the strength of this team frankly but the fact that Ramondre Stevenson and, and even Rattler to some degree just nowhere to run tonight in, in rare, you know, instances. And, Ryan, we even noted a couple of times when Oklahoma had six defensive – or six <laughs> offensive linemen on the on the field and, and still not, like, opening – or not opening up, you know, parting of the Red Sea sort of thing. So, um, you know, that to me was the thing I was kind of like, uh, you know, I'm not real sure what that, what that was all about, but just was not a crisp performance in any form or fashion for the offense. Yeah, you know, it was weird to see Ramondre Stevenson uh, struggle at times to to get much. Numbers wound up uh, being pretty solid for him. Only averaged uh, 3.3 yards a carry, 15 carries, 50 yards, had the touchdown uh, there at the end of the first half. But uh, played a, a big part in the passing game once again. Five catches, career high for him, 48 yards, continues to evolve. Uh, as an overall runner, um, but uh, TJ Pledger did some decent things uh, tonight, but just never quite seemed to find a total rhythm offensively. I mean, heck, you know, one of the better uh, passes I thought that Spencer Rattler threw uh, was to Theo Weiss. It winds up getting dropped, um, and uh, the, the Sooners aren't able to, to get a touchdown there. And then uh, one of the path touchdown passes that Spencer Rattler did throw to Braden Willis looked like it was surely going to be picked off. And then all of a sudden it gets tipped up into the air right into Braden Willis's hands and it's a touchdown. So the, uh, I guess the, the football gods uh, taketh away and then they giveth. Yeah. And Spencer Rattler said he didn't even see that one, but, because he ended up getting hit and knocked down. And so he was looking at, you know, I don't know, the Oklahoma sky when uh, when that touchdown happened. But, 
he said when he threw it, he felt like it deserved to get intercepted. And he's not wrong. I mean, it was, it was, it was pretty much a drop by the, the Baylor. But, but like you say, you know, he, he did throw a good ball to Theo Weiss in the back corner. Uh, That was actually earlier in that drive. So uh, they actually did find a way to get in the end zone. Um, But yeah, threw a real nice pass there, but yeah, just not, you know, I think Rattler finished what 20 or 28, uh, you know, so not, yeah. I mean, not the worst night, but definitely not that wow. And against a team again, two wins at, at Baylor, um, you know, kind of uh, after losing so many guys, including their head coach, obviously, uh, you know, going to take some time to sort of reset their footing. But, um, you know, you, you kind of expect one thing and you, you get another. So I think that was a little bit off putting as well. You know, there just wasn't sort of those big pops of offense tonight against the Bears. Yeah. yeah. So hopefully, uh, for the Sooners' sake, they'll be able to get that corrected in time for not only West Virginia next week, but Iowa State certainly uh, when they'll need that in the Big 12 title game. Uh, Jenny, let's talk about a couple other quick things tonight before we uh, wrap up and get out of here. Um, we talked all week about which coaches would and wouldn't be here. Uh, OU released on Friday that Bob Stoops was not going to be a part of the, the game day coaching staff uh, for this team. It certainly uh, helped that uh, Alex Grinch and, and Roy Manning uh, were back in that spot. Obviously, Bob Stoops has had a lot of experience uh, at various times in his past working with secondary guys, and we know that he was working with OU secondary early in the week. So maybe you can credit him for a little bit of uh, what we saw, especially I think uh, Robert Barnes is one of his his recruits still uh, back there. There's a few of them left. And uh, tonight, though, it seems like the only coach uh, that was missing was Shane Beamer, uh, who was uh, caught up in things. Obviously, that's interesting because Shane Beamer spent last weekend as OU's game got postponed. Uh, Shane Beamer was in South Carolina uh, inter- interviewing for that job. And then in the fourth quarter tonight, it comes a rep- report. I think Bruce Feldman from The Athletic was the first to report it, that uh, Shane Beamer was going to be named uh, the head coach at South Carolina after uh, Louisville, Satterfield from Louisville, uh, who's the other one, Billy Napier from Louisiana, had mm-hmm. uh, rebuffed them. So um, I wrote about this uh, at one point last week, the sort of the birth of the Lincoln Rally coaching tree that, okay. uh, that Shane Beamer really was likely to be regardless uh, of whether or not he got the South Carolina job. I think, uh, you know, certainly Alex Grant is, is relatively close to getting that opportunity, I would think, as well. But uh, – I know that Shane Beamer is thrilled to to go back uh, to his home state where he was born when his dad was coaching, I believe, the Citadel uh, before he made the jump to Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. And uh, a, a program that he played a big part in the best years of South Carolina football in that program's history when Steve Spurrier was, uh, I think, what they had three, uh, three consecutive at least 10-win seasons there. Uh, another nine-win season thrown in there as well, if I'm not mistaken. So um, hope that uh, Shane Beamer uh, performs well there because he's uh, always been a guy uh, that's been fascinating to talk to and has been uh, great for us to deal with, I know. 
Yeah, for sure. And, you know, obviously he's got college football head coaching in his family, in his blood, you know, his dad being at Virginia Tech for so long. And, you know, obviously I think most people expected that he would get an opportunity, but, um, you know, to get a power five job as your first head coaching job, you know, that's a, that's, that's a huge deal. And I mean, obviously any SEC job is going to be difficult. Um, but you know, South Carolina, it's not Alabama and (laughs) well, I guess not that those aren't difficult, just in different, completely different ways. Right. Right. But I mean, I think you're playing in a division with Georgia and with Florida now, right. What they're doing. Right. And, but I think the thing is, is that you're going to a place that has, has been, you know, a, a quality program. I mean, and, and, you know, it's not like he has to go. Um, like to, you know, Kentucky, like Mark Stoops did several years ago and build from nothing. I mean, South Carolina has got, you know, really good facilities, obviously, uh, you know, a, a, a flagship type of university. Um, obviously, you know, Clemson's going to be in your backyard too. You're going to have to battle with those guys. But, you know, I think when you're talking about a, a good first opportunity, you know, I think that that, that has to be considered a, a pretty nice landing spot because you can win there. I mean, you're going to have to, you're going to have to put your, uh, you know, your, your big boy pants on and go try to, to win in the SEC. But I think South Carolina will give you, you know, what you need to, to go be competitive. So, uh, you know, that's a, that's a really, if that does prove to be the case that Shane Beamer is going there, you know, I think that's a, that, that's a heck of a first head coaching job. And uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm the same way, Ryan. I got to think this is just the first of several guys we'll see along the way that uh, will ultimately spring out of the Lincoln Riley coaching tree and, and, and be head coaches somewhere. Yeah, but I, w- I would look for Alex Grinch to be the next one uh, on this staff. I think he's, he's pretty close. I mean, heck, he got whispers last year when uh, the Washington State job opened up. Uh, yep. Ultimately, obviously, didn't wind up getting that. But I think uh, certainly the way their defense has performed, he's going to continue to get looks uh, there as well. Uh, but, uh, Jenny, looking ahead to, to West Virginia, you know, I, I thought it was interesting what Lincoln Riley had to say after the game when he was asked about, was there any thought or is there any thought uh, to not play in this game next week uh, in Morgantown because you already know who the Big 12 uh, championship game uh, participants are going to be? Yeah. Yeah, no, he, he basically said, you know, we're, we're going. I mean, you know, with COVID, he could get <laughs> results back from Yeah, and from- West Virginia had some issues of their own with COVID this week, we know. Yeah, yeah. He's basically saying all things being equal, they're not going to back out of the game just because of knowing who plays in the Big 12 championship game. And, you know, he made the point that there have been other years when, you know, the the Big 12 championship game participants have been set before the last regular season game and those games still go on. Um, And, you know, I think, Ryan, you made the point along the way, too, that, you know, in a season that has been you know, so impacted by the pandemic that, you know, getting games in has been, uh, has been the, has been the, the, the way of the college football world. And so, you know, uh, while others may do it different, uh, the big 12 and Lincoln Riley and OU by extension, you know, they're, they're going. So uh, I, and, you know, I think when you're talking about, a, you know, a shortened season anyway, um, you know, the chance to, to, to play and to get out there and, 
you know, go to West Virginia, a place that's, you know, sort of it, it, its own um, its own adventure in the Big 12. It's so different from everywhere else. Um, obviously, that team is, has, has been uh, at times really tough defensively. So, you know, I think that'll be a heck of a test to go. You know, it's weird that obviously Iowa State is going to be off next week, but you know, I think, again, I think in this year of, of weird and, you know, changes and just all the things that have come with this, uh, you know, playing in the pandemic, you, you sort of roll with it and you just say, you know what, you know, a game you get to play, you, you go play. And so, yeah, I, that was, I thought, interesting because I do think some people were probably thinking, well, you know, you're going all the way across the country and it's a game you don't need to play uh, to get to the Big 12 championship game. But Lincoln Riley unequivocally they're going, they're playing. West Virginia is on tap next week. Yeah, which is absolutely, I think, the attitude that that, that they should have. Um, I wasn't too thrilled with the ACC decision uh, to to tinker with their schedule a little bit. Uh, I hope that the Big Ten doesn't uh, toy with uh, their guidelines that they set out before the season uh, to have. Uh, their participants in the Big Ten uh, championship game determined. I mean, well, for one thing, Ohio State might benefit from being in that third place game, regardless if, if you're unaware the Big Ten is is playing, uh, everybody's playing that championship game week. This sort of uh, uh, bracketed uh, by finishing the division. But, uh, you know, I, I think rules are set when heads are clear when you're thinking about the best interest and the the most fair thing to do uh, in this thing. And I think if you change it up uh, right there at the end, just because you want to get Ohio State in the playoff or or whatever, uh, I think you do a disservice to the rest of the conference, uh, to the other teams, um, and and even to the the teams that are are participating, uh, just – because again, I, I think you set the rules with uh, clear heads and, and deciding what's best, and then to, to switch them up at the end just because the scenario works out, I think it's pretty weak. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, you know, obviously, this is a year that, you know, we all knew, and, uh, you know, th- there was going to be things that came up. I mean, obviously, you know, the Big 12 set out a, you know, either or weekend for its championship game and um, obviously they went with the or they went with the later one after enough games got um, pushed back by postponement so you know there's there's some wiggle room in all of this college football playoff selection committee you know deciding how their schedule is going to run when they're going to make the announcement about who's in those sorts of things so there's there's some there's some give but no I think you're right Ryan I think when you set those those governing standards as it relates to, you know, who gets in the title game, um, you know, what it's going to take to get there, how those tiebreakers are going to work. I mean, I think that that, that's how you are playing out the year, even in a weird year. So to then, you know, start to, to change rules midstream, you know, I always say, I don't, I may not like the rules, but if I know what they are, that's way better than, you know, uh, changing them up on me midway through you know I you'd rather have to deal with something weird and off the wall and and maybe something you don't totally agree with but you know what it is when you start out that's way better than somebody saying midway through oh you know what this isn't working out very well let's go over here and do this other thing I mean I just think that that's 
a disingenuous way to, to do things. So I agree. I mean, I think that, um, you know, the Big 12, the, you know, they've largely been able to get to the end and have something that looks like almost what they set out with. So I think to continue with that, you know, I think that's the way to go. Uh, OU will be at West Virginia. Um, you know, there'll be some other games next week. And then obviously that big 12 championship game. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm looking forward to these last two weeks of the regular season for the big 12. I think it's going to be fun to see sort of what, what comes out of it at the end. Yeah, it'll, it will certainly be interesting. And it looks like, uh, the entire big 12 schedule is going to be able to be, be played, which is something that I don't know if, uh, <laughs> uh any of us. Uh, thought that that would happen yeah. uh, at this point, and and you know clearly still got a week to go, so you know, things can th- can happen. Uh, you know, OU's got uh, West Virginia. The other ones at least have another week of wiggle room that they could uh, they could make work if they needed to. Iowa State's uh, Big Twelve schedule is already finished, but it looks like uh, what Baylor is going to be the only team that's going to lose a game there. Uh, as TCU recently added a, a non-conference game uh, to that same week as well. So, um, you know, I, I think for all of the the concern over the Big 12 and the SEC's and the ACC's plan to move forward, uh, and all of them moved forward a little bit differently, but those three really made a decision to move forward uh, as a group with this season. Uh, I, I think it's played out as well as anyone could have hoped, yeah. uh, certainly from the Big 12 side. And, uh, you know, they, there were some, some bumps in the road over the last couple of weeks, especially not only with OU, but uh, with, was it Kansas, I think was the, the cause of the Kansas-Texas uh, delay and uh, a, a couple other ones. But um, things are looking good for the Big 12 schedule uh, to be completed which is is good for this conference, and I think it's good that Oklahoma, at least as of now, is going to go play West Virginia and uh, complete the full round robin uh, of this league. And we don't expect them to be in the playoff, but um, if just chaos ensues, uh, you know, say, well, one, if Notre Dame beats Clemson again and uh, opens up a spot there or – you know, something crazy happens in the SEC, although I don't necessarily expect that to happen with the, the three contenders that they've got there. So at least they've got one uh, sort of on backup. But, you know, if – and certainly, heck, tonight the Pac-10 or the Pac-12 um, didn't do itself any favors uh, relating – not that I expect any one of those teams to make the playoff, but um, – you know, once again, a, a really not tough night for them. So, um, again, don't expect OU to be in the playoff, but every data point helps. Yeah. And, and well, if they're able to, to put themselves in a, a good spot, you know, maybe a, a craziness does happen. And then, you know, we see the Sooners in the Final Four uh, once again. Well, I mean, think about how how many times in the last – you know, however many years it's been, you know, the thought is, well, that's it. That's what's going <laughs> to keep them out. You know, playoff talk is over. And, you know, 
it it will take more things to happen for Oklahoma to get into that one of those four spots. It's it's unlikely. I mean, it is unlikely. But this is a weird year. If you hadn't noticed, this is a weird year. So you know, I again, I it seems like it's you know you'd, you'd probably have to put you know very slim percentage chances on Oklahoma being in one of those spots when it's all said and done. But, you know, you just, you just can't tell. To me, the thing that Oklahoma has done is it's, it's found a way to get itself in position to be, be a team that the, the, the committee could at least consider. You know, if they win next week at West Virginia, if they turn around and, and beat Iowa State, you know, an Iowa State team that has been playing pretty darn well as they finish out their regular season slate. You know, if they beat Iowa State, a team that's ranked pretty high, you know, I don't think they'll vault over some of those other teams, but they'll be there. They'll at least be in position should 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 the chaos happen. And then that's what they've done in past years is get themselves in position, you know, to be there if if that happens. And here they stand again. And that's that's no small thing after those two losses back to back, you know, very similar, very similar games for them to have gotten up off the mat, to have fixed uh, to fix the problems that you know, really caused them harm in those two losses. And then to sort of figure out a way to, you know, they, they were having so much trouble getting back momentum when they gave it away and to figure out ways to, to, to do that. You know, we saw it in the Texas game, obviously, once they went to overtime, uh, it, you know, they had lost momentum in the fourth quarter, but then the overtimes come and they, they hit the accelerator. Um, so they've, they've figured out ways to, to remedy themselves. And in a year when it ha- it's not always easy to, to improve, to, to, to affect change and get better, they've found ways to do it. Um, so I think kudos to them to, to at least, you know, have, have gotten themselves back into, uh, you know, the, the spot where, you know, they haven't just completely fallen apart. So this is not a lost year for Oklahoma and, uh, you know, you can't say that about every team in the country, that's for sure. Yeah, I was – while you were uh, talking there, Jenny, I was trying to find if 538 had their their odds uh, for the playoffs. As, uh, Nate Silver's site usually is the best as far as odds and things like that. I don't see a, a, a playoff odds uh, scenario uh, on their site right now, but – it certainly would be interesting to see what that percentage is. Clearly, yeah. it's not good, but yeah. it's there. Uh, there's at least some kind of pulse. Not that we any of us expected to happen, but I, I think certainly the committee moving Iowa State up last week was a, a good sign for the Sooners, and uh, you know gives them something uh, to hang their hat on if they're able to go. Uh, beat the Cyclones in Arlington, but that'll be a fantastic game uh, here in a couple weeks at, down at AT&T Stadium. Hopefully, uh, uh, we'll both be down there uh, for that. I'll be in Morgantown, West Virginia next week. Fingers crossed uh, <laughs> if that happens. Uh, I don't have to reschedule flights uh, yet again, but uh, it should be an interesting week of football next week. I think you'll be in Baylor, right? Are you, are you going to Waco to see the same team next week? Yes, I will see OSU's rescheduled game with Baylor next weekend, which uh, should be an interesting one because obviously, you know, Baylor uh, got that big come from behind win uh, a week ago against K State down in, in Waco. 
OSU has not played well there. So, uh, and after seeing Baylor today, it's going to be interesting to see how that matchup goes. So, yeah, I will, again, fingers crossed, I'll be in Waco next week. Well, hopefully both of those things will happen. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we're going to uh, wrap it up here for the night on the Sooners Extra podcast. Thank you so much uh, for taking the time to join us. You can check out our work every day at Oklahoman.com and every morning in the Oklahoman for the best OU coverage anywhere.